a small pastor fail right there. You're trying to walk out quietly with the table, and you slam it into something in the midst of nice, quiet, reverent prayer. Uh, that's awesome. Hey, speaking of that, uh, Tyler is back this week. We prayed for his sister last week um, and got to get an update from Tyler. She is awake. She's out of ICU. Um, she's responding to the medications. All very, very good things, so, but still continue to pray because there's a lot of unknown things that are going on there. Um, and if you want to ask um, Tyler, get a little more information. And, and thank you guys for the folks that texted him and just, you know, let him know that we were praying for him last week. Um, I know that that meant a lot to you. So, man, we love you and we're glad, glad she's coming out of it. So it's awesome. So we are uh, continuing kind of in this vintage series that we've been talking through, like stories from the Old Testament. And today is, is one more of those days, like, that I've kind of been looking forward to because, you know, I think a lot of times we see some of the high the high mark stories of the Old Testament, and we think, man, those are great for kids because they're super animated, and, and it worked out well that this is the fifth Sunday. We have about four of those every year, and so all of our older kids are actually in here right now. Um, and so this is one of those stories that's just, man, it's one that you'll remember from childhood if you grew up in the church. Um, and there's a lot going on, and there's three really cool names that we probably mispronounced like crazy when we were growing up, but it's just one of those great stories. And last week, to kind of catch us up, about 400 years have passed um, from where we were last week to where we're going to be today. Um, last week, we finished with uh, this idea that David sinned, but yet David uh, repented. And we read Psalm 51 and went through that, and we looked at what forgiveness really is in view of God, what repentance looks like, um, and what that is. And so, um, hopefully, uh, God did some work in a lot of us this week. I know we kind of left it with this, that we need to pray. If there is any sin that's going on in our life that we're not aware of, we need to be made aware of it by the Spirit so that we can confess that and repent of that like someone that's mourning something that was lost because that's what sin does in the life of a believer. It, it causes us to lose or to miss out on part of that relationship with God. And so hopefully there was some, some good repentance and confession going on within the Origins family this week. And so from then till now, uh, there was another king right after David, his son Solomon. He was a good king. He was probably one of the wisest men of all creation uh, of all time. He was one of the wealthiest of all time. And from then on, there was a series of good king, bad king, kind of good king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, good king, um, something like that. It's kind of trying to remember your great, 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 great grandmother's grandfather kind of a deal. But either way, uh, there were a series of those. And, and throughout this series of good king, bad king, there was uh, Israel. I think we can hear New Spring there at the baseball stadium this morning. Um, and so that's our kids. Oh, wow. Our kids are as loud as New Spring. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> So yeah, anyway, I'm glad the rest of our kids are going to be deaf when they leave today. Um, and so during this process of good king, bad king, Israel repeated this, uh, this sin. They would go after other gods, God would call them back, they would repent, and things would be good for a while. And then they would do it again, and they would do it again. Uh, kind of the story of Israel, kind of the story of us, to be honest, too. And it was just this, this roller coaster of idolatry. Um, I love it when that kicks on. That means I'm not going to sweat in front of people. Um, and so it was just this roller coaster of idolatry. And eventually, uh, Jeremiah was one of the prophets at the time, one of the major prophets. And he basically told Israel, he's like, look, um, this is what God is telling me. He's tired of it. He's had it. Um, and he is going to do something uh, to bring you back. And what it was, it was going to be exile. It was going to be exile at the hands of their enemy. 
Um, in this case, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, was going to come in uh, in around 608, 605 B.C., and they were going to start uh, spreading out Israel. They were going to start taking people. They were going to start exiling some. It was going to last for about 70 years. And, and so today, that's kind of where we pick up. In the very beginning of Daniel, which I'm just going to read the first few verses. It's not going to be on the screen. Then we're going to jump forward a couple chapters. But in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar II, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. He brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Asphenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So uh, King Nebuchadnezzar sent his people. He said, bring back some of the best. Bring them back, bring back the brightest, bring back the royal, bring back the people of high authority, bring them back, take them, kidnap them is the actual word that we would use, and bring them back to my kingdom. We're going to make them serve us, but we want the best. If we're going to have people serve us, we want the best. And so the king assigned them the daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah from the tribe of Judah. And the chief eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And so we have these four kids. They were probably 16, 17 at the time. They were taken from their home. They were brought back to learn the ways of Babylon and to be indoctrinated in all of the things that they knew and then to serve in the court. And among those four, there were three whose names were changed to the names we're going to talk about today, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I don't know if this is ringing any bells yet. It should. Like if you grew up in the church, maybe you even went to vacation Bible school and never went back, but you probably heard this story. And uh, the first thing I've got to say, it's not just for kids. There's some great stuff in here, but kids, if you're in here, hopefully you've heard this or you're going to hear it again or maybe for the first time, but either way, great story. And I struggled with Abednego for so long. That name is hard. Like you have to phonetically sound that bad boy out just to get it close, Abednego. But anyway, so that's where we are. And so they were, they were trained for about three years. They grew up, and eventually they grew to a place in which uh, through Daniel and through some actions of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, man, they gained a lot of favor with the king. They gained a great deal of favor with the king. As a matter of fact, over the course of about 20 to 30 years, they served the king well. Um, they never deviated from who they were, but they served the king. They were in a place, and they knew that if they were going to be there, they were going to, they were going to work, they were going to serve. And so about 25, 30 years later, some things started to happen. And so this is where we find ourselves today in Daniel chapter 3. Like I said, 25 to 30 years had passed. And so this is what happened. We're not going to read the first few verses of chapter 3 just to kind of sum them up. King Nebuchadnezzar, he decided this. He's like, man, I'm going to build a statue. Not just any statue, like a grand, huge statue, 90, 90 feet tall, made of gold, and about 10 feet wide. And he said, I'm going to build it, and here's the deal. Anybody, everybody, at any place, at any time, if you hear any music at all, it doesn't matter what kind of music it is. If it's coming out of an instrument, you hear it, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what time it is, you bow down. And not only do you bow down, but you bow down and you worship the image of me. And so that was his plan. And he said, and anybody that doesn't do it, guess what? Yeah, I've got a furnace that we use to burn stuff. You're going to get tossed in it. And so that was the plan. 
He said, man, big, huge image of me, massive, 90 feet. Imagine a 90-foot statue of yourself. Nobody would want to see your nose that big. Nobody. Nobody would want to, nobody would want to see that. But he's like, I'm going to build it. I'm going to build it with gold, and it's going to be awesome. And so he does. He says, anytime, anywhere, any person, no matter what, you hear music, you throw yourself down, you worship. That statue, you do it right there. And if you don't, you die. If you don't, you die. Remember that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego name. Verse 8, which will be up here, says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. We love you. You're great. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music. By the way, I want a trigon next week. That would be great. I don't even know what that is, but let's have that during worship. They shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And then there's this statement in verse 12. He says, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So we've got a problem. It's an impasse. We've got these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They grew up as as Jews as Israelites that grew up in the midst of a nation who constantly turned and were brought back over and over and over. They grew up seeing that. They grew that grew up seeing the, the effects of worshiping something other than the one true God. They remembered the fact that at one point God had brought their people out of Egypt, and while they were in the desert, there were some words given to them. We call them the Ten Commandments. They remember in the book that we would call Exodus that in the very beginning of those commandments that God says, Hey, I am the only God. I am it. Do not make other gods. Do not worship other gods. Just worship me. They would remember that. As a matter of fact, they didn't just remember that. They would have held it very dear to themselves because they knew that was at the very center of who they were. It was their God. Remember, over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what this, thing, this idea of worship looks like. Worship is far more about my identity in God than about what I do. And they knew that this idea that there is one God, we are to worship him alone. We're not to make other gods. We're not to worship other gods that have been made. We're not to do any of that. They knew that that wasn't just something they did. It's who they were. And so it would have been like central to them. And so some of these Babylonians and Chaldeans, they came to the king and they said, Oh, king, we love you. You're great. There's some boys that you appointed about 20 some odd years ago to run some of the affairs of our people. And the subtext of what they're saying is we don't like them. They're not us, but King, you should know when the music plays, they're not dropping. When the music plays, they're not worshiping. When the music plays, they're not bowing down. Oh, King, I just want to remind you what you said that you would do. Then it says this in verse 13. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? So really quickly, Nebuchadnezzar just said, Hey, is it true? Is it true? I've, I've heard this from people that may or may not like you, probably not, but they're telling me you're not worshiping. Is it true? Remember last week there was this, this choice that David had. 
There was this choice that David had when he was confronted with his sin. If you didn't hear it last week, go back and listen. Man, I, I've gone over it in my mind so, so much, and it was really good for me uh, to say some of those things and to hear some of those things said. Uh, but remember, he had, he had two choices when he was confronted with his sin. Confess and repent or defend himself. Right now, Shadrach and Meshach, they're, they're at a similar impasse, a very similar fork in the road. They, they have two choices. They have two choices. Because their scenario is the entire culture that's around them is worshiping one way, and they're choosing to worship another. And now they're confronted with the consequence of that, choosing to worship the one true God, and they have an option. Do they choose to say, no, 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 uh, we're not going to do that anymore? Or do they choose to say something else? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, (laughs) I love it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Whew. (laughs) They, They basically just say, hey, we... And they're not being indignant. They're not being jerks about it. I know that we would love to read into it some subtext of just kind of smart aleckness, but they're not. They're just like, king, we... We don't have to make a defense to you. Um, it's true. We are, we are not worshiping your gods. Uh, we are not bowing down. And, King, we have to tell you we never will. And God may deliver us. You're going to toss us in the fire furnace. Our God is able to deliver us. He's able to bring us out. And maybe he'll do that. But you know what? Maybe not. It doesn't matter. Either way, we will not worship. Huh. We'll come back to it. Verse 19 through 23, here's the story. We're not going to pop it up there. We'll, we'll jump forward just a second. King Nebuchadnezzar was mad. <laughs> I mean, he was really mad. He was like, how, how dare you? That's one of my son's favorite phrases. How dare you? I don't know where he got it, but it's pretty funny. But King Nebuchadnezzar was like, how dare you? How dare you? I've built an image of myself. I am great. Our gods, we like them. And all I said was when the music played, all you had to do was bow down and worship. That's all. And you've told me no matter what, you're not. He said, hey, that fiery furnace that we've talked about, heat it seven times hotter. Make it hotter than we've ever imagined. Seven times hotter. I don't know how they would even do that, but seven times hotter. Find the strongest men that we have, bind these three guys, tie them up as tight as you possibly can, and chuck them. Put them in. And it was so hot, in fact, that these mighty men, these mighty warriors that were so strong, the best of the best, the strongest that they had, they bound them up, and the fiery furnace was so hot, when they got close to chuck in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they died. The mighty men, they died. So they chucked them in. Remember, they said, oh, king, we have no need to defend ourselves here. We don't have to give you a reason. Our God is able to deliver us, and he will, but even if he doesn't, We're not going to bow down. We're not going to worship. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? So he's looking in. He's like, didn't we, we, we put three men in, right, boys? Hey, three, right? One, two, three. And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. He said, I know that we tossed three men in, but I'm looking in there right now, and I'm seeing four. They're walking around. Those ropes that we bound them up with, they're gone, and they're just kind of having a field day in there. What's going on? 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. (laughs) Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies of those men. Their hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said... Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own god. So a guy that was bent on calling people to worship him and other gods in a moment He sees the delivering power of the one true God, and his whole tone changes. His whole vocabulary changes. Everything changes. He calls into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he calls them by the name of those whom whom they serve, not just their names. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who serve the Most High God, come out. I believe. (laughs) They weren't harmed, but you know the only thing that was burned off were the ropes that bound them. Man, I love that. Their hair wasn't singed. They didn't smell of fire. Man, I've burned my eyebrows off and my chin hairs off so many times just by being moderately close to fire. Nothing on them was burned. They walked out unscathed. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar said, because you didn't bow down to any other God, because you didn't serve any other God, I see your God. I see the God. And idolatry is so tricky. Idolatry, like to define idolatry, idolatry is any time that we are going to go after something else other than God. That we have made something else the vessel of our hope, the vessel of our peace, the vessel of our salvation, any time we go after that. And it's so tricky because a majority of the time we're faced with a very similar deal, maybe not a 90-foot statue. Like I've never been asked to bow down to a 90-foot statue But at the same time, we've often been surrounded by culture who is going after everything but God. And so for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the easiest thing for them to have done would be go along. Just go along. Everybody else is doing it. Just just go along. But the issue is, idolatry doesn't just ask that we go after something else. When we really enter into idolatry, Idolatry demands that we choose something else over God. Idolatry demands it. Because that's by nature what idolatry is. Remember in the very beginning of Exodus, like we talked about, God just said, look, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 20, verses 3 through 4, at the beginning of the, the Ten Commandments, God just said, look, I, I'm it. Don't make anything else to worship. Don't worship anything else that's been made. Don't go after anything else because not only am I it, but I'm all you need. But idolatry is so tricky because it's, we're often surrounded by it, and it seems like it's just saying, hey, just, just add this to your plate for your peace. Just, just do a little bit of this to get a little more calmness in your life. But eventually we understand that idolatry demands way more than we intended to give it. Way more than we intended to give it. In uh, 
chapter 3, verses 4, it says, And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, O nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. It says you are commanded to do this. The other easy choice for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been when they heard the music, they could have rationalized it in their heart. They could have said something like this, and we've probably done it. Hey, if I just do this today, I'll get to follow God longer. Listen to the trickiness. Listen, it's, it's so subtle. If I just do this today and I really don't mean it, I'll live to, to follow God another day. And so that's good, right? Problem is, idolatry doesn't work like that. Idolatry doesn't say, I just want part of your heart. It says, I want it all. I want it all. Because if we're willing to give a little, we will give a lot. That's just human nature. If we're willing to give a little bit for more peace, outside of the confides of the peace that we can find in God, we'll give a little more. We'll give a little more. We'll give a little more. And then we understand that the demand of idolatry is far bigger than we ever anticipated. It would have been easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just to say, hey, I'll, I'll do this publicly, but in private, in private, I'll worship God, and I'll be okay. Those are called concessions. Concessions. How many times have I made concessions with God? Like, hey, today, God, I'll do this. I know you don't want me to. I'm going to chase after this, uh, but tomorrow I'll be back on my knees for you. Concessions. You know the heart of what the beginning of the Ten Commandments said? You know what the heart of that was? It was God saying, you know what? I'm good enough to require every bit of you. I'm good enough to require every bit of you. God says that he's a jealous God. Like, and we don't understand that because we view jealousy as, God, as wrong, but, but God's intent is that he wants our entire heart, the fullness of my heart, the entirety of my heart, the entirety of my passion, the entirety of my pursuit. He doesn't want just pieces. He says, I want it all. And that's why he says, don't go after anything other than me, just me. I'm enough. Scary th a scary other thing about idolatry is in the beginning, we may not even see it that we're worshiping something else. We're just entertaining it. We're just seeing how it feels, testing it out. We may not even see it as worship, but what we don't realize is we've already given up the hope that we can only find in God and we're seeking it elsewhere. And the other scary thing is in a culture that, in a culture where everyone bows down, it looks normal. Hear me. Like in a culture to where everyone is bowing to something other than God, it looks entirely normal. But it's ultimately about the heart. It's ultimately about the heart. And it's not about giving God our leftovers either. It's not about me saying, hey, God, I'm going to chase this today, but tomorrow I'll chase you. I'm going to chase this all day long, but tonight when I find just a little bit of quiet, I'll, I'll spend some time with you. No, he wants, I'll be honest, he wants every bit of me. Am I always giving him every bit of me? I've got to be honest, there are days when I don't. And I'm guilty of idolatry, I am. I'm guilty of pursuing other things. What other things? Like, man, job, it's easy to chase a job. Even as a pastor, I can chase the job of being a pastor. 
Man, I meet with other pastors all, all the time, and, and I hear what they're doing. I know what New Spring's doing over here, and what they're doing is great. I've prayed for them already this morning. And, and it's easy to chase those other things. I know in your life and in your job, it's easy to go after those things. It's easy to go after your 401K. It's easy to go after these things and think that they're going to bring you peace. It's easy because they provide comfort. They provide satisfaction. They, they provide what we're looking for. It's easy. Maybe it's relationship, maybe it's being accepted, maybe it's sex, whatever it may be. It's really easy to chase those things because they do. They bring us satisfaction for a while. But God said, I, God said, I don't want you chasing anything else. I just, I just want you chasing me. Man, I think like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at some point, and I realize the theological ramifications of what I'm about to say before I say it, I think at some point, Every single one of us has to choose God and God alone. From my perspective, at some point, I have to make that choice. And to be honest, I think I have to make it not multiple times for my salvation, but multiple times for my worship. I have to choose just God repeatedly, over and over and over. And it might not be as drastic. It might not be as colorful. It might not be, hey, choose God or choose the rest of everything else. And if not, you're going to be tossed into a fire. It might not be that drastic. But the ramifications are the same. At some point, every one of us, we either have to choose God or passively not. And a lot of times, this this not choosing God is incredibly just me not choosing anything at all. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were faced with a very colorful choosing. Like, choose me, um, and if you do, you could die a really bad death. Choose all the other stuff that everybody else is chasing, and you could live. What's your choice? What's my choice? What's my choice today? What's my choice tomorrow? What's my choice? What's yours? What is ours? We can either choose him who made man, or we can choose stuff that man's made. We can either choose him who made man, or we can choose stuff that man made. One or the other. I mean, that's, that's it. That's the simplicity of it. And, and man, here's the truth. If we choose him who made man, if we choose God, yeah, there could be some consequences. We could be chucked into the fire. Not the eternal one, but the temporary one. We could... There's, there's a lot of things that it could cost us, and, it's, and that's the reality. And, and if we don't talk about the fact that following Jesus could cost us something, then we're not talking about the same gospel that he talked about. Because, by the way, he said, hey, choose to follow me. Guess what? They're going to hate you because they hated me first. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You're probably going to be the same. I challenge you when you go and I send you not to take anything for your journey. I'll provide it all. So guess what? You're probably going to walk around with not much. There's a ton of risks that Jesus said, if you choose to follow me, they're going to be there, and they're real. People are going to come after you. You look at, the, you look at all of the disciples, that the original 12, one of them hung himself. That was Judas. That was kind of an iffy character. But the remaining 11, 10 of them were killed. And the one that wasn't killed, John, that died of an old age, they tried to kill him many times. They tried to kill him many times. They fried him. They deep fat fried that boy. Yes, there will be consequences to us saying, I choose God. I choose God. I choose God no matter what the rest of the culture is saying they choose. 
there will be consequences. Here's the other thing, though. I think we have to understand that, oh, that God is so worthy, and others will see that. That God is so worthy, and others will see that. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? When he looked in there, he's like, hey, we threw in three, right? Hey, three? Why do I see four? One that's like a giant angel dude. Kind of crazy. I see four. And he's like, hey, Shadrach, me second a bit ago, come out. You who serve the most high God, come out. And they did. And he was like, oh, I believe now. I believe. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Just a chapter previous, he had built a statue, an idol of himself, demanded people bow down and worship, and now this king, who has watched three get chucked into a fire, seeing four walk around, coming out completely unscathed, he was like, it seems good to me to talk about all the things that the one and most high true God has done for me. He is worthy and people will see. Man, when we declare that God is my only God, that God will be the only one that I will chase, the only one that I will pursue, the ramifications will be twofold. One, I will get to spend an eternity pursuing God, but others will get to see me and have a chance at grace. The mission, the gospel starts with people seeing us live it out. It begins with people seeing us truly submit our lives to the life of Jesus, to the bread of Jesus, to the the blood of Jesus, to him dying on the cross for my sins. That's where the mission begins. That's where the gospel begins. People seeing that. People seeing that I have chosen God and God alone. People seeing that you have chosen God and God alone. They see that and they will marvel. And then they will be faced with the same choice that we were. Do we choose God or do we choose everything else? And we get to fill in the blanks with words. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. How beautiful the feet of those who take the good news. Romans 10. Man. So what does this look like? How does this play out for us? I think one, I think it means if we're choosing God and God alone, we have to seek his plan and his desire for us as individuals. His plan, his desire for us. That means that we have to do what we've talked about for the past couple of weeks. We need to stop and we need to say, hey, God, what do you want? What do you want of me? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to be? How do you want me to get there? What do you want? We have to seek God's desire and his plan for us as individuals. The second thing is, man, I think that we have to take ownership of the mission wherever we are. Take ownership of the mission. By the way, God has brought us in as co-heirs with Jesus Co-heirs with Jesus, meaning that we are guaranteed all the rights of royalty that Jesus was, and that's crazy and blows my mind, but one of those rights is that we get to carry the name of God forward and through the gospel. So we have to take ownership of the mission, take ownership of the gospel, take it wherever we go, where we work, where we live, where we play, all those places. Take ownership of it. And understand that part of me saying God and God alone is who I'm going to pursue, it's going to be God and God alone is who I'm going to tell others they should pursue too. And guess what? That's not infringing on their rights. not infringing on their rights. We want them to be joined to God the same way that we are. The same way in which Paul, right before he died, he was in front of the king, and the king was like, hey, Paul, you've only got a few minutes left. Would you seriously take those last few minutes to try to get me to believe like you do? He's like, oh, no, not just you, but everyone. Not just you, but everyone who hears. Man, if we're pursuing God because he's the only, shouldn't we tell others 
that he's the only. He's the only. And I think third, this is the, this is the one that, that may catch us. Man, we have to be seeking and praying to become more and more like Jesus every single day. Seeking and praying to become more and more like Jesus every single day. Submitting to his model, submitting to the way that he lived, the way that he loved, the way that he sacrificed who he was. Submitting to that is the plan for our life. Because by the way, if we're doing that, man, the other stuff's just going to kind of work itself out. And I know you're like, man, that's way too simple. You mean you're going to tell me that I'm going to have the job he wants me to have and I'm going to do what he wants me to do? Yep. If you're trying to, you're hardest through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you as a result of the guarantee of Jesus, and you're being like Jesus the best that you can, the best that he's enabling to, everything else is going to kind of work out. Won't mean you won't get killed for the gospel. Won't mean that I won't get killed for the gospel. Talked to a couple friends this week. Uh, He's a a pastor in the low country, super successful church. And uh, I just kind of overheard a conversation, and I asked him, I said, what? He's uprooting his entire family, moving to Tunisia. Um, it's uh, 99.6% Muslim. The other 0.4% is culturally um, Catholic. They're, they can count the number of believers in the country of Tunisia at about 1,200 not a single church because they're illegal and it's punishable by death. And he, he's pulling up his entire family and they're going there so that they can see people give their lives to Jesus. And they full, they're fully aware. They may end up in jail or dead. May end up in jail or dead. I think if we're willing to admit that Jesus and only Jesus is worthy We have to accept what comes with that. It's not an easy pill to swallow. Not an easy pill to swallow, but I think we're weighing consequences. It all balances out pretty good. So tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, I think every day we get up and we're faced with the same choice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faced with when they were confronted by Nebuchadnezzar. Will you or won't you? Will you or won't you? Which way do we go? Which way do we go? Um, This is what I would encourage you to do. Number one, I I think we also have to all recognize that none of us in and of ourselves are fully capable of worshiping God and God alone. We just can't do it by ourselves. Uh, We were made with a a leaning towards worship, but guess what? Sin came in, and it corrupted that. It broke it. It busted it into a million pieces. Now, Jesus is fully redeeming that. He's restoring that to its its fullness and to its beauty. But even, even on our best day, we're not there yet. And so I think every single day we have to say, God, I want to worship you and you alone, but I need your help. I want to worship you and you alone, but I need your help. Can't do it by myself. And not only do we need the Spirit's interaction in our life giving us help, but you know what? I think we have a family for a reason. We have a faith family for a reason. That's the reason God didn't come to redeem a a person. He came to redeem a people because he intends for us to rely on each other. I think we admit, God, I can't do it by myself. I need the Spirit, and thank you for allowing me to need the one another's. 
think in the areas that we're weak, we confess it to one another. We say, hey, this is what I'm chasing more than God right now. Can you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you intercede on my behalf? Will you ask me about it? Hold me accountable. Help me. Maybe that's the step this week. Tomorrow morning you get up, God, I can't do this by myself. I need you. And God, I need others. And reach out to them. Let me pray. And we're going to worship some more. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example in scripture, God, and, and the directive that you just want. You just want all of us. You just want every part of me. That's all. And God, I know I'm incapable of that. I know that for me, as a man whose spirit and whose flesh battle every single day, more appropriately, your spirit and my flesh, they battle every day. I know that in and of myself, I can't do it. So God, I need you. I need your spirit to make me look more and more like Jesus so I can fully and totally submit to you in worship and in pursuit and in passion and all those things. God, I pray that we're a people that praise that daily, that we need your help just to worship you. And I pray that as a people, God, we're, we're in it um, for each other, we're in it for you, and we help one another well. We help one another by praying for one another. We help one another by just asking the hard questions and maybe just a little course correction when it's needed. Thank you, God, for loving us well. Thank you, God, for calling us to you. Teach us what it means to follow you with everything we got. Lord, we love you. Amen.